Good morning, Sanctuary. My name is Edrin, and I don't know what my title is today. Um, <laughs> it's something. It's something. Uh, it's an honor and privilege to be able to stand before you today on such a momentous occasion. Um, thank you all so much for just the, the outpouring of, of love and um, encouragement and grace and prayers and cards. I never thought I'd be a person who would like receiving cards in the mail. But so many of you have sent cards just to say, I'm praying for you and your family. And I really do like cards. I, I think I might start sending a few myself. Um, we're, we're excited for today and what it means in the life of our church. Um, and so I, I want to go ahead and jump right into this word so that we will hopefully have a few minutes early, get out a few minutes early so that you can make sure to make your way back here uh, today at 430. I'll be here um, and I'm hoping you will, will show up as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love us, that you've called us from many different places to this particular church at this particular time. God, we are so grateful that in the midst of a world that seems to be constantly waging at war with itself, that we can find sanctuary here. We can come and for a few minutes each week and for special moments throughout the week, we can hear your voice clearly and know that you are a God who is faithful. So God, as we prepare for this message today, would you do what only you can do? Take this one message and divide it a few hundred ways so that each person in this room would feel as if you were speaking directly to them today because you are. You love us. It's an everlasting love. And so we thank you that we know of your love and we get to respond each and every day. We pray these things in the precious name of your son, Jesus, for his sake. Amen. About a week ago, a little over a week ago, I began preparing for this message and I found myself feeling quite a bit of pressure. I felt like I needed to give the sermon of all sermons, like like the, the end game sermon, like just snap my finger and just <laughs> and, and I in, in my stress, I, I mentioned to my wife that I was feeling a lot of pressure around this message. And she said something to me that was a bit out of character for her. Uh, but she spoke a, a prophetic word, I believe, over my life. She said, stop putting all that pressure on yourself. She said, this message may be important, but it's not the only significant moment of this journey for you. She said, all of your messages have mattered. And she said, God has been preparing you for this all along. Listen, I don't know if you know my wife, Shaniqua, but you need to get you a Shaniqua. You can't have mine. She's taken. But you need someone in your life when you find yourself wrestling and putting stress on yourself who will speak truth to you and remind you that God has been at work in your life all along. When she said that to me, it was as if a, a weight had been lifted. And it changed the focus of how I was thinking about this entire process and this particular message. And since all of my messages, as she said, mattered, I thought I would go back, way back to the beginning. As you know, long before I began preaching here at Sanctuary, I was just a young black boy preaching to trees in rural South Carolina. That was my first congregation the trees around my grandmother's house. 
At some point throughout the weekend, I would make my way into those woods and I would begin to preach to the trees about the goodness of God. Sometimes I'd be out on the dirt basketball court at my uncle's house next door and I, 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 the wind would begin to rise up as often happens near the coast and, and those trees would begin to sway from side to side and that was, in my opinion, that was the call to worship. I would drop that basketball and I would begin to testify to the trees about the goodness of the Lord. And, and the wind would, 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 would blow harder and I would say that's shouting right there. That's them saying amen. That's them saying hallelujah. And the trees would continue to whip from side to side. And I would say that was them, them running around the sanctuary. We were having good church in those days. In this moment, in this special moment in the life of our church, I thought I would go back to those days and share from one of my go-to passages whenever it was time for me to preach to those trees. I want to invite you to join me in Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is a very familiar passage, one you've heard probably many times before, and I pray that God can use it today to encourage us and challenge us a little bit as we move into this next season. Psalm 23, if you have a Bible, join me there. It will also appear on the screen. Here's what the Word of God says. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. The title of our message today is The Shepherd, the Under-Shepherd, and the Blessed People. The Shepherd, the Under-Shepherd, and the Blessed People. Here in our text this morning, we find the words of King David. David was a shepherd boy who had been called by God to become a shepherd king. Scholars can't quite tell us what occasion brought about David writing this psalm, but one can imagine an aging, reflective king looking back over his life and beginning to put down these words, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Brothers and sisters, there is a cause and effect relationship between those two clauses. The Lord is my shepherd, and as a result of that, I lack nothing. David, the shepherd king, draws on a natural metaphor, one that flows out of his days as a shepherd boy. But even beyond what he knew as a shepherd boy, David drew on this language of shepherd because in that day in the ancient Near East, many kings would refer to themselves as shepherd. A few hundred years later, the prophet Isaiah would write about the coming Messiah, the promised Messiah that we know as Jesus, and he would say this about the, the Messiah. He says, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart, and he gently leads those who have young. 
David seems to be drawing from that same inspiration, that same God who spoke to through Isaiah speaks through David. And David says emphatically today, because the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Since the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. As a result of the Lord being my shepherd, I lack nothing. Seeing as how the Lord is my shepherd, I ain't lacking nothing. David assesses his life. He looks at his life and he says, I'm blessed. And when he's searching for a reason to explain his blessing, David says that the most important reason that I'm blessed is because the Lord is my shepherd. If David could speak to us today, if David could examine our lives today, David might be confused about some of the things that we cling to pridefully as explanation for our blessing. David says, I'm blessed because the Lord is my shepherd, not because I have a certain amount of money, not because I work for a certain Fortune 500 company, not because I'm intellectual, not because I have a title before my name or some initials after my name, not because of the color of my skin or the culture that I bring to this church, not because of my fraternity or sorority, not because of my relationship status, and definitely not because of my credibility in the streets. If you're looking for an explanation for why I call myself blessed, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. All those other things, they have their place. They have their meaning. They're cool. Go get them. But if you're trying to explain your blessed nature, you've got to look beyond the stuff and see that you're blessed because the Lord is also your shepherd. David gives us a mouthful right there in that one verse, but he doesn't stop there. In verse two through five, David begins to offer us past and present evidence of God's faithfulness. David says, you want to know why I say I'm blessed because the Lord is my shepherd? Let me walk down the list for you. He says he makes me lie down in green pastures. He, he gives me a place of cool, refreshing rest. He said he leads me beside quiet waters. Everywhere around me, the waters are raging and choppy, but God provides nourishment for me in waters of stillness. He said he restores my soul. David said the Lord refreshes his soul, seemingly bringing his soul back to life. And he says he guides me along the right paths. God offers him safe passage along paths that bring God honor. Why does God do all of this? Yes, because he loves us, but he also does it, David says in verse 3, for his name's sake. David says God blesses him because God's character and God's commitment to his children is on the line. And so we don't have to walk around begging and wondering, will God show up in our life? If we are called by the name of Jesus, God will show up in these same ways for us. Can somebody say amen this morning? Verse 4, David shows us that our blessed nature doesn't mean that we won't have some mess in our life. He says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. David says, I'm blessed, but I'm also often in some mess. He says, I'm blessed not because I don't have issues, but because even in my darkest hour, God is right there with me, seeing me through. I wonder this morning if I have one or two people who've ever been in some dark situations. 
I know you look great this morning. I know you're educated this morning. I see the kind of cars you drove in here this morning, but I wonder, have you ever had mess in your life? I love a good time kind of God, a God that blesses us with stuff. But I love knowing even more that when my life gets messy, when my friends might turn their back and walk away, when even family can't seem to help me out, there is a God who will walk with me through the darkest valleys. David says, God will show up in your mess, and he doesn't show up empty-handed. He said, God comes equipped with tools of protection and care. He calls it my rod and my staff, and he says he will bring that stuff to me and care about me in the midst of my mess. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. Brothers and sisters, something happens in verse 5 because David shifts his focus from shepherding to hospitality. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Sheep don't eat at tables. And so for some reason, for some reason, David at this point said, I'm going to stop talking about shepherding per se, and I'm going to shift to the God who is hospitable. He said that God prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, I'm, I'm usually a pastor who uh, tries to stay away from talking about haters. I, I don't like that too much. Um, I think most of us over-exaggerate uh, how many haters we have. Nobody's really paying attention to us. Like, get over yourself. So I, I try to avoid, whenever I can, talking about haters in church. Your haters. God's going to do this to your haters. I, I don't... I, I try to stay away from that, but because it's right here in the text, I have to deal with it. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. David tries to help us see that even though we're blessed, there will be enemies. David tries to help us see that everybody that's around us is not for us. He tries to, to, to say to us way back when, what the notorious B.I.G., that great prophet, was also saying when he says, that's not all. MCs have the gall to pray and pray for my downfall. It's right here in the book. David says, don't lose track of the fact that even though you're blessed, not everybody's happy that you are. And there are some folks who will be right there close by you, not to congratulate you, but waiting for the moment for you to stumble and fall. But David says, don't waste much time worrying about those folks, because while they're waiting for your downfall, God is over here fixing you a plate. He said he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. While my enemies are over there waiting and hating, I'm over here eating. They're hating. David's eating. And so if you are a person who has two or three haters, I doubt if it would be more than that. Don't waste your time worrying about them. 
the Lord has turned a place that was once intended to be dangerous to you into a dinner table. When you're at the dinner table, you're kicking off your shoes. You're looking for seconds. You're looking at other people's plate wondering, are you going to finish that up? You're not worried about the hate. And David says, that's what the Lord does for me. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. David says, not only does he feed me and nourish me, he, he pours oil over my head, which is a sign of gladness and abundance. And he says, he gives me so much blessing that it's more than I need. He said, my cup runs over. I got all that I need and then some. David paints this wonderful picture in four sentences, four verses that tells us that the Lord, the shepherd, has been at work in his life. David takes this inventory of his life and he's convinced that God is faithful. And he's been so faithful in the past and in the present that David says God will continue to be faithful in the future. Look at verse six. It's right there in the text. He says, surely. If you grew up in a church like like I did, you know what needs to happen. He said, surely. Surely. That's a sign of confidence. David said, I have seen what God can do, and I have confidence, I'm sure, that this blessing is not for today, not just for today, but it goes on into eternity. He says in verse 6, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David said, I'm so blessed right now that Something tells me that at the conclusion of this day, this blessing will continue. At the conclusion of this life, this blessing will continue. This, this relationship and this closeness that I have with God will chase me and pursue me even into the life to come. He tells us, if David could be here with us today, I believe he would synthesize all this for us and he'd say one simple sentence, which is our big idea for the day, and that's this. Led people are blessed people. Led people are blessed people. He says to us that those who allow themselves to be led by God experience God's blessedness in this life and in the life to come. Led people are blessed people. When we follow God, we don't have to run around like beggars. We don't have to run around sending money to TV evangelists hoping that God will begin to bless us. When we identify with Christ as Lord and Savior, we can guarantee at least four kinds of blessings. Here's what the text says says to us, that the Lord will provide for us as his children blessings of spiritual nourishment. He says he leads us in green pastures and leads us beside still waters. He gives us the blessing of spiritual restoration. He restores my soul. He, he guarantees us the blessing of spiritual guidance. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And he blesses us with the blessing of spiritual protection. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow or death, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Brothers and sisters, led people are blessed people. We have a shepherd 
Even the New Testament writers knew what David was talking about because they tell us in John 10 and 11 that God, through Jesus, is the good shepherd. They tell us in Hebrews 13 and 20 that Jesus is the great shepherd. They tell us in 1 Peter 5 and 4 that Jesus is the chief shepherd. If you don't remember anything else today, I want you to leave this place knowing and believing that you have a shepherd and you have everything that you need. Perhaps you're wondering, how does God send these blessings? How, how do these blessings practically come to us? One very practical way that God blesses the flock is by giving us leaders under shepherds who will help the flock to know God and follow God. One of the ways that God shows his love for us is by giving us under shepherds, those who will help us to know God and follow God. God is already the source of all your blessings. You don't need a pastor to give you blessings. God is your shepherd. But God also sends leaders who will lead you in following after him. Can we go to the next graphic? There, there, there is a, a special relationship between the shepherd, the flock, and the under-shepherd. Here, here's how Jeremiah describes it. He says, then I will give you shepherds after my own heart. This is God speaking a prophecy through Jeremiah, who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. God is already the shepherd. But he gives them an under-shepherd who will lead them with knowledge and understanding. Ezekiel 34, verse 22 through 24, describes it this way. I will save my flock, and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. I will place over them one shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. God speaks to the prophet to declare to Israel, you already have a king. You already have a shepherd. That's me. But I will give you an under shepherd, someone who is sent on my behalf to lead you. Psalm 78 says it this way, verses 70 through 72. Speaking of David, he chose David. God chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens, from tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of the people. Don't forget this part. David shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skillful hands, he led them. Brothers and sisters, God found David in the sheep pen, in obscurity. And he brought him to the place of leading the people as an under-shepherd, as a pastor, as an overseer. The people didn't need a new shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. But God sent David as an under-shepherd, and David led the people on God's behalf. David made mistakes, some big, ugly, messy mistakes. David fell over and over and over again. But at the end of his service, here's what the Scripture says about David's leadership. He shepherded them with integrity of heart, and with skillful hands, he led them. I hope you understand what I'm saying this morning. Brothers and sisters, I'm standing here today, and I'm asking you for the privilege of being your under-shepherd. 
I'm asking you to be your next pastor. I'm asking you for the privilege of journeying alongside you as you come to know God and follow God. I'm asking you for the privilege of encouraging you and challenging you. I'm asking you for the privilege of leading you towards God's truth and towards God's love. Sanctuary Church, I'm asking you for the privilege of walking with you through whatever stage of life you're in. If you're living your best life now and as one of the 050 members, I want to be your pastor. If you're a teenager who feels like I have the whole world figured out, you don't, and I want to be your pastor. If you are single, married, divorced, a widower, wherever you are in your life, I'm asking for the privilege of being your pastor. I'm asking for the privilege of baptizing and dedicating your children and being a part of their village as they grow up. I'm asking for the privilege of representing this church in our community, around the nation, and beyond. I'm asking for the privilege of being a representative for sanctuary in our denomination and beyond. Listen, God didn't find me in a sheep pen somewhere in the Middle East. That was David's story. But God found me in the woods, way down in the low country of South Carolina, preaching to trees, no less. And I believe God has brought me here this far through much mess to be your next pastor. So this afternoon, my prayer is that you will respond with a resounding yes. I'm excited for Sanctuary's future. And I pray that you will say yes to me being your under-shepherd and leading us into that future.